Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. We began by talking about single devotion to the King, King Jesus, the incarnation, the birth, the life, the teachings, the miracles the death, the resurrection, and sense of Jesus, the Jesus event changed everything. And he is worthy of our devotion. Talked last night about being the community of God. And um, as my prayer, we stop doing church and start being the church. And this morning we're talking about real responsibility. And there's lots we could put in that category, but more narrowly, I want to talk to us about our gospel responsibility. To be a Christian is to take up gospel responsibility. We've heard the good news of Jesus, and once you hear it, you've got to share it. That's the nature of the good news. On April 14th, 1912, at 11.45 p.m., a 46,000-ton ship called the Mauritania, no, I'm kidding, here's the Titanic, was struck by an iceberg in the North Atlantic. Months later, there was a a governmental investigation into what happened and why, and a small detail arose concerning a missing key. Do we have the picture up? That's the actual key right there. That little key... Second officer David Blair was removed from the crew of the Titanic at the last minute. And in his haste to get off the ship and take his leave, he did not hand the key to his replacement, Officer Henry Wilde. That key was to a storage locker that contained binoculars that were used in the crow's nest of the ship. Without access to those binoculars, the lookouts on that historic night were forced to rely on their eyes in looking for icebergs. After this event, one of the crewmen was asked, his name was Frederick Fleet, in case you care. He was the man in the crow's nest that night, and he was the first to actually see the iceberg, and he, was, he actually survived, and he was asked the question, Suppose you had had those binoculars, could you have seen the black object at a greater distance? It's a very dumb question, actually. He says, yes, we could have seen it a bit sooner. How much sooner, he was asked. He said, well enough to get out of the way. A small action had incredible consequences. A small thing, a key, something that fit in your pocket, 
could have shifted the events of history. Now, that's a negative example, of course. In the kingdom of God, though, there are thousands of small decisions that have incredible consequences. In Acts chapter 10, we have what I believe is the most important moment in church history. It happens to be in the Bible, but the most important moment. We have the story of a single small decision that is going to have tremendous consequences for the history of Christianity. Other than, of course, the death and resurrection of Jesus, this is the key moment, I believe, in the history of humanity. Before we read the story, I want to put it in the context of the book of Acts. We all know that Jesus, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, is before he ascends into heaven, he gives his disciples what we think of as the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. But he says, before you go, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the power of God, and then, and only then, can you be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We know in Acts 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. The church is born on that great day of Pentecost. And there were Jews in Jerusalem from around the world who heard the good news and responded. And over the next chapters, we see the growth of the church by miracle and by martyrdom. But the growth of the church in chapters 1 through 8 is limited only to Jewish people. I doubt there are many of us here who could claim to be Jewish, maybe some. But most of us would fit in the category of Gentile, non-Jew. We take it for granted now that Christianity is a global religion for all people. But at this moment in the history of the church, the Jesus followers are just a tiny, insignificant number of Jewish people in the middle of the Roman Empire. The church has not yelled yet fulfilled its mission to go to the ends of the earth. And so we come to chapter 10, and there's still a question hanging in the air. Will the gospel truly be available for everyone? And it is at this key moment, we have this small, seemingly insignificant story about a single man, one man, who's taking a nap on our roof. And I'm convinced this is the most incredible, important story in the history of the church. So we're reading from Acts chapter 10. We're going to read actually quite a bit of the chapter today, so keep your Bibles open. Verse 1. In Caesarea, there's a man named Cornelius. His friends called him Corny. No, <laughs> that's not actually there. <laughs> A centurion. <laughs> Why do I say stuff like that? It's so dumb. Centurion, Italian cohort. So he's a leader in the Roman Empire, Roman army, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. So he had sort of adopted some sort of probably the Jewish faith, yet not fully converting. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw the angel of the Lord coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, 
Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, apparently not, not a lot of name diversity, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling him everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were journeying and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. (laughs) I love that. What a weird vision. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again, a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Aren't you glad we're not the first people that have struggled to respond to the voice of Jesus? And the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of this vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, like he's puzzled, he's rejected it, he's puzzled, now he's thinking about it. The Spirit said to him, look, three men are searching for you. Here's the key verse. Now get up and go down and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? I love this story for lots of reasons. Number one, because it's a very Mediterranean story. Um, put up that picture of, uh, that's my daughter. Believe it or not, it's not a great picture. It's the best one I have. Sleeping on a rooftop on the Mediterranean. <laughs> yeah, that same ocean. Even today, people nap on the rooftop. And just like Peter's day, the big meal is the afternoon meal, the lunchtime and And I can just imagine you getting hungry, it's warm, the Mediterranean sun's kicking, and you're just laying back on that rooftop, kind of getting ready, and you're half asleep in a trance of need for food, and it's wafting, and all of a sudden, God interrupts Peter. Top, not unlike this. And he sees this vision. Now, what's going on? Well, most of you know that the Jewish people had very strict laws about eating, call them kosher laws. And these were meant to illustrate to them the holiness of God, kind of a clean living, if you will, that would highlight their unique relationship as the people of God. And these rules, these religious rules of the Old Testament were broken by a lot of people all the time, but the one that kind of everybody kept was eating kosher. Even your most non-spiritual Jewish person, that's the one thing you didn't do. You didn't work on Sabbath, and you didn't eat these strange foods. And yet the very Lord of the universe drops this in front of Peter and says, now it's time to have a barbecue 
pork. And it, Peter can't fathom why in the world he's having this vision. You know, there's lots of things. Think of all the things he saw and experienced in Jesus, but this is the one that throws him. I just, I, what in the world is going on, God? I just don't get this. It's so deeply ingrained in him. But what is going on here? I have two main points today. The first is simply this. The community of the gospel sees the lost. You see, Cornelius is not a Jew. That makes him an outsider to the Jewish people. He's an unclean Gentile. And though he's got good works and sincere heart, he's cut off from the people of God. Cornelius provides us with an obvious and clear picture of human longing. He wants to know God. He wants things to be right. At least he wants something bigger than himself. Cornelius has religion, sincere religion. Cornelius is not poor or jobless. The only thing he lacks is a personal knowledge of Jesus. And so God takes action. But it's almost as if Peter... In having this vision, God is saying to him, Hey, Peter, we need to break the old rules, to break the old boundaries. This gospel can't just stay among the Jewish people. It's got to get out to others. But even though Peter experienced Pentecost, heard Jesus' command, he still can't quite imagine that someone like Cornelius would ever want to could ever really embrace the good news of Jesus. Why would a Gentile want this information? He isn't an obvious candidate. He's got money. He's got a job. He's not some backslidden church kid. And Peter can't fathom, even though he's heard the command to go to the ends of the earth, that this message was more was for more than him and his group. Just as God provided Peter with Cornelius, God provided me with a woman named Carmen. I actually shared this story at Northeast Salt, but I'm going to share it again. We met Carmen nearly 12 years ago, 14 years ago maybe. She's an educated, master's degree. She teaches Comes from a fairly wealthy family. The family has problems, but she's just a normal Western European person. And we were sharing the good news, ironically, out of the book of Peter with her one day, talking about the fact that there's new life in Jesus. And she said something to me that was my rooftop moment, even though I was already a missionary. She said, why hasn't anyone told us this before. There is a world that is hungry for the good news that Jesus saves and heals and reconciles and holds all things together. But somehow in our Western world in particular, I think because It's our own culture because people are wealthy, they have money and all so and so forth. We can't possibly imagine that they really are ready or need, truly need the good news. 
Does that make sense? We live our lives walking by people on our campus, in our residence halls, and they really don't know Jesus, but somehow it just doesn't dawn on us that there's desperate, as my friend Carmen, there's desperate as Cornelius. And it will take a supernatural act of God, I'm convinced of this, and it's for all of us to open our eyes and see the lostness of the world around us. In my own world, I wish there were more Corneliuses that just walked up to us, you know, and said, hey, I need Jesus. Doesn't happen very often. But the truth is, the more I spend time with secular people, the more I recognize and see behind the curtain of their lives, so to speak, how truly desperate people are to know Jesus. A young man named Javier, very intelligent, very buff, speaks five languages, he's likable, he's funny. One day he came into our ministry center, Raites, and I just happened to be the only one there. He just sat down. We were just talking about nothing in between. I wasn't even being that you know, missionary guy. I just was talking to him, and he turns to me, and he says, you know why I come here? I said, free coffee? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. He said, no, because the truth is most of my days, I feel alone. I was like, what? <laughs> You're the happy, gregarious one. Because it's only here among this group of people that I feel like I experience authentic relationship. And I was able to tell Javier why our community was different. A young French lady happened to be with us one year Again, very bright, very educated, like one of you. We're having a conversation. And I don't even know how it came up. I just said, you know, I'm not afraid to die. You know, I wasn't really trying to witness, to be honest. I don't even know why it came up. And she turned to me. She says, you're not afraid to die? I said, no, because I know Jesus. She goes, I, almost every night of my life, I lay awake at night fearful of what death may bring. These are wealthy Western University students. And even though on the outside it doesn't always seem, you get these windows. And I think they're God's gift to us that the world without Jesus is alone, is scared to die. They haven't experienced the grace and forgiveness. My prayer for you as a community, my prayer for my own life is, God, help me see the lost. I'm not saying an informational thing. We know people don't know Jesus. I'm talking about the same kind of supernatural revelation that Peter needed to get beyond his own self and recognize there's a lost in dying world. 99% of the Spanish people say they do not know Jesus personally. They live their entire lives never knowing someone who knows someone who knows someone who can tell them about Jesus. And I'm asking for my own life and and for the lost people in your lives, oh God, baptize us with compassion for the lost. So my question is, who have we looked past? Not seeing them through the supernatural vision of Jesus. 
They seem like unlikely candidates for the gospel. They seem like they wouldn't be interested. They seem that maybe they would reject it out of hand. But we cannot become distracted by those thoughts. Instead, we need to see the world through the lens of Jesus who said, these are my people. These are the people for whom I died. All people everywhere. Every tribe, tongue, and nation needs to hear the good news. Why hasn't anyone ever told us this before? So as the gospel community, I beg us to spend time asking Jesus to open our eyes to the lostness all around. I hope it means that we care about the least reached peoples of the planet. People like the Spanish people, the Moroccan people, the Belgian, the Saudis, people for whom can live their whole lives and never hear the good news. But I also want you to think about the least reached person on your floor. Maybe they're Cornelius ready. You can't tell on the outside. But the gospel community sees the lost. Secondly, this, the community of the gospel gets off the roof. I believe the pivotal moment in the history of the church happens right here. The Lord of the harvest, Jesus himself, says to Peter, now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation. There's a thousand reasons for Peter not to get off the roof. God doesn't ask him to preach a sermon. He doesn't ask him to perform a miracle. He just says, get up and go down. That's all he asks of Peter. When the pandemic first began, I saw an article in the New York Times of a guy who was stockpiling hand sanitizer and required masks. He actually was prosecuted for profiteering. He took, he went around to like a a 300 mile radius to every store and bought up 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer and started uh, selling them for nearly $80 a bottle. He made thousands. I don't know about you, but we were in a lockdown for nine weeks. We couldn't leave our house. When I saw that, even though it was in the U.S., I was so angry at this dude. Taking masks that the hospitals couldn't get. Stealing hand sanitizer. I thought, this is such an injustice. There is a world in need of what you have in your garage. What an injustice it is. We have gobs of bottles of the gospel. And there's a world in desperate need. You see, the nature of the good news makes us responsible. The gospel cannot, should not be stockpiled. It is an injustice when we don't give it away. Because when we embrace Jesus as Savior, we also are accepting his ambassadorship. They go together. 
The call of God to be a witness is not some special designation for people like myself and my wife who are missionaries. It comes with the salvation package. It comes with the good news. And we all have reasons to stay on our roof. It's not my job. I'm not that skilled. I don't know what I'm going to say. Maybe they don't want to hear. There's a thousand reasons. And Peter's like, God, I can't do this. I've, I've never crossed these boundaries before. This is beyond my comfort zone, Jesus. And all Jesus says to Peter is, just get up and go down the stairs. That's all I'm asking of you. Because, Peter, you're prepared for this home. I mean, think about Peter. He'd gone to Jesus University, graduated with honors. Well, actually, it was dishonorable, and then it was honorable. Peter had experienced grace. He'd been there at the day of Pentecost. He'd stood up in front of the crowds and preached the first evangelistic sermon. He'd experienced the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And let's be honest, this Cornelius thing was not a hard assignment. Cornelius sent him men. Because the issue here is not, the real barrier to the gospel here is not Cornelius' heart or the spiritual warfare or the hardness of the culture. The barrier here is just Peter not getting off his roof. God doesn't need a perfect, skilled person. He just needs someone to get off the roof and go down the stairs and say hello to the lost and dying world. Just do something, Peter. God has already done the hard part. (laughs) And so, the small choice is just simply to go downstairs. The real responsibility of the gospel community is actually not trying to do all the great big things we imagine. It's just a thousand daily sacrifices to get off our roof and go downstairs. Do not underestimate the power of small obedience. I beg us, walk across the hallway of your residence hall and say, my name is Sean. Just invite a non-believer to Monday Night Live, even if they don't seem likely to say yes. Just ask someone, can I pray for you? You seem to be having a difficult time. I know you may not believe in this, but I do. Would you mind? Just make a non-believing friend and invite them into your little core group. Just do something because the heavy load is on Jesus' shoulders. He will convict of sin. Yes, we can get better at talking about Jesus. There's lots of things, but fundamentally the problem with reaching the world, isn't found in all the bigger stuff. It's in the small obediences of just taking gospel initiative with a lost friend. Don't try to win your dorm. Try to win the next person. But what happens through Peter's simple obedience? He goes downstairs. He goes with them. They go back to Joppa. And Peter doesn't even seem to be that excited about it. But he does. He goes downstairs, and that action changes the history of Christianity. Reading from verse 34, Peter's now in Joppa. Peter began to speak to them. 
And this is a strange way to start an evangelistic sermon. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. Peter's not even talking to them yet. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. In other words, Peter recognizes this wasn't about Cornelius. This was about me. I finally get it, Jesus. I should have got it on the Mount of Olives. I should have got it at the cross. I should have got it when I saw you resurrected. I should have seen it in the upper room. But now I finally get it. It's not just about me. There's a whole world out there that Jesus wants to and can save. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Peter begins, keeps going on in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit falls on everyone who heard the word. The other circumcised believers, the Jewish believers that had come with Peter, were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who've already received the Holy Spirit? Here's the funny thing. Peter didn't even get his sermon out, and God says, it wasn't about your sermon, Peter. I can take care of the rest. And they're speaking in tongues, and he's like, I guess we should baptize them in water. (laughs) They got this thing in the wrong order. Because God was teaching Peter, and he was saying to the church, just cross the street, walk across the hallway, see with my eyes that there's a lost and dying word, just do something, and I promise you, as the Lord of the universe, I will take care of the rest, but the gospel has to go to those who have not heard. Let me tell you about a young man named Nick. He was a college student who decided to do something. He started a small group of three friends at his college because they were concerned about another friend named Freddie. Apparently, Freddie had fallen into some temptations and was being drawn away. And so the four of them gathered together, and began to pray, and as he says, intervened to rescue his soul. I love that. They rescued Freddie, and those five young men began to start other core groups on their campus. And their slogan, their anchors were, to be true to Christ, to be upright and moral, and to do good to our fellow man. They also named their core groups, just like you all did. Their first name was the Slaves of Virtue. (laughs) The next one was the Confessions of Christ, the Confessors of Christ. But they finally settled on the name the Order of the Mustard Seed. Good name. They took a pledge to be true to Christ, to be upright and moral, and to do good with their fellow man. Each of the members wore a gold ring and says, No one lives for themselves alone. Sounds like they're getting this gospel community thing, right? Nick, who was the head of this organization himself, made a gold cross with a green stone. And on it was painted a mustard tree. And below it were the words in Latin, what was formerly nothing. What he said was, 
We just want to do a small thing to have faith the size of a mustard seed. And out of that comes a huge tree. He said, even if we never see wonders with our own eyes or hear of them with our ears, we are planting the kingdom of heaven to the nations and will look for fruit that grows from among it. The order of the mustard seed also began a prayer meeting that lasted nonstop for 100 years. Nick's full name was Count Nicholas Zinzendorf. Out of that movement, just five guys who decided, four guys who decided to help one other guy, came a hundred-year prayer meeting that launched the modern missionary movement. Included in that movement and his effects was the salvation of a man named John Wesley. A small decision of a guy named Nick, who cared about a guy lost named Freddie, picked three friends, they walked across the hallway, and they changed the world. Because they dared to believe it's small things, small actions like a mustard seed, fruit into something far beyond they can imagine. I don't know if Peter knew it at the time, but this was the pivotal moment in church history. Chapters 10 through 15 of the book of Acts, the very center of the book of Acts, is all a struggle for whether or not the gospel would get to the Gentiles. They debate it, they fight about it, they can't imagine it. But in the middle of that, Peter has this experience and he convinces the rest of the leadership of the church that the Gentiles really can get saved. He reported to the leaders and he said this. This was said of the meeting. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Out of that same section of the book of Acts, God speaks to the church of Antioch and two men named Paul and Barnabas called to be the first missionaries to cross boundaries to take the gospel finally gets to the end of the earth. I close with one more story. If we have a worship, guys come up. In 2000, I believe 15, maybe 16, UVA sent a spring break trip. Any of the staff on that 2016 that were here? I don't know, Josh, maybe, Fairchild. Were you here in 2016? Did you go? I don't know. I don't know who, you know who led it? Were they in Rigo already? I know. Somebody on the staff took some students in 2016. It's a small step, really, to go on a missions trip. It's really not a big deal, to be honest. People travel the world all the time. But it's a small step of obedience that some staff from UVA, Chi Alpha, and some students decided. And one of the things we did is we had a uh, swing dance night. Right? It's a simple, small step, swing dancing. Well, a young man named Saul, Saul, saw a sign for swing dancing. He's really into dancing, salsa, but 
he thought, I'll try the swing. He had a friend who also decided to come, and they began coming to our English club regularly after that. So UVA has a swing dance to meet non-believing people. Saul comes to the dance night. He introduces it to his friend who they come to English club. That friend has a brother who also wanted to practice English. His name I will call Javier. So in 2016, maybe 17 at this point, Javier starts coming to English club. He shows zero interest in anything spiritual. Zero. Not interested at all. We go on, so for two or three years, he's just come to English club. And during the pandemic, all of a sudden, Javier shows up to our online core group. And for a year of basic lockdown, Javier hears the stories of Jesus. Lockdown comes to an end, and Javier says to our staff, I want to be baptized. And we said, full of faith, really? (laughs) We didn't actually believe him because he showed no interest. So our staff met with him. And I get a text, we were in the States at the time, and he goes, no, this dude's really gotten saved. And we're like, seriously? He's like, yes. Javier is baptized. We have that picture up. I don't know if we have that. There he is. We still have our mask on. The night of his baptism was one of our first services back in person. In the middle of that service, a middle-aged European couple, a Spanish man married to a German, walks in. We have never in our history of our community had a European person we did not know walk in. Never. When Javier takes off his mask to be baptized, the German wife kind of has a moment She comes up to us afterward and she goes, I know that young man. Apparently, five months before, four months before, our friend Javier was getting online tutoring in German. It just so happened that the teacher he found was a woman who walked in that night. They had been practicing their vocabulary, been talking about friendship in German. And he said, my whole life, because I have some, he's on the spectrum. He has some some things that I've felt isolated my whole life because of that. But I met a group of people who really love Jesus and they've treated me like a friend. And it changed my life. He told her that four months before, didn't tell him where we were, who we are, didn't name us. But it so moved in her heart, she began to Google for Christian community and just happened to find our website and just happened to walk in the night Javier was baptized. Small action of a U of A student in team deciding to come spring break small decision to do a swing dance to embrace lost people into our community 
a friend inviting a friend. And all of a sudden, the gospel goes to people who had never heard. Our German friend said, I've been looking for 25 years for a community that I could come to and hear about Jesus. I ask us, community of the gospel, will we embrace our gospel responsibility? The gospel is too good to keep to ourselves. The Jesus of our devotion deserves the fruit of his labor. Dare to believe that God can take your small choice and change the student across the hall in the least reached peoples of the world. Will you pray with me? Zach, you can come up. Lord Jesus, all I can say is more than ever before, I recognize that we need a supernatural baptism of compassion for the lost. We cannot see this without your help. Open our eyes to a world full of Cornelius's and Carmen's and Javier's. Teach us to see that no one is, there's no one who doesn't need the gospel. There's no one. We don't even know what's going on in people's hearts. Open our eyes so that we can dare to take a small step and say, maybe this person, maybe this action, maybe this moment will change the trajectory of this person's life, of this campus, of this city. Take our small steps of getting off our roof and do what you alone can do. Amen. Jesus, we say there is no one like you. There's no one as merciful, as loving as you. No one as powerful as you. There's, there's no creator other than you. Lord, there's no one who is, who, who is able to pull us out of the, the sin and the darkness and loneliness. We found ourselves in other than you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done in each one of our lives. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done uh, in this space, at this campground, this weekend, how we have all encountered you, Lord. We've all had visions of you, visions of what the community of the gospel truly looks like. And and uh, Jesus, as we go back to grounds this afternoon, God, when we, when we get off the roof, God, we've had the vision. We've written down the names. We've experienced you in powerful ways. Your Holy Spirit has come and met us. So, so Jesus, now go with us get off the roof as we go back to grounds may the uh, may the transformation we've experienced this weekend spill over on the grounds spill over into our dorm rooms to our roommate to our hallmates to our classrooms lord as we're walking around grounds and in, in, in oh hill and in newcomb lord may may you be on the move through us as you work mightily through us by the power of your holy spirit Jesus, yes, with the, with the transformation that's happened in this room this weekend, uh, spill flow all across grounds as we go back. My God, I got, God, I pray for each one of us uh, in this room right now, Lord, that the things that we need to be reminded of often as we go back to grounds, we would not easily forget. We would not easily forget the encounter we had with you, uh, the truths that we need to be reminded of, Lord, the encouragements that you've given to us, God. May we carry those things with us, talk about them as we drive home. Uh, meditate on those things as we go back to grounds. So Jesus, we, we thank you uh, for, for who you are. There's no one like you, that we have seen that and known that and felt that this weekend. So Jesus, I pray uh, that you'd be with us as we go, that that uh, we, we just know that you are the same uh, God back on grounds as you were here this weekend. 
that we go back uh, not as individuals, but as a community of the gospel. So we go back as, as core groups, as brothers and sister core groups, as, as a whole family um, of God um, that uh, wants to, to, to know you more and live for you. So Jesus, we thank you for what you've done uh, this weekend. Uh, we pray that you would seal all these things in, in our hearts and that we would go back um, just excited to see what you will do uh, as, we, as we return to grounds this semester. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Can we give Sean and Deb one more round of applause to show them our gratitude, our thanks? Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.